This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. So glad to see you today. Glad to be at church this morning. I know I am, and it's a beautiful day to be at church. We're going to talk about some things um, at the end of the service. Normally, uh, we would have what we call response time. And if you're new around here, let me explain it real quick. Uh, we sing a couple of songs in the beginning, just like your worship guide says. And then we have some announcements. You meet each other. And then um, one of our pastors talks. And then at the end of that, we take what was taught and we respond with it. And there's communion tables. That's what the tables are on the side of the room. There's communion there and the response cards and some pens and, and stuff that you would need to have about five to seven minutes to sit and think and ask God, so what did I learn today? Like, what, what did you say to me today, and what am I going to do about it for the next seven days? And so we do that every Sunday because this, what we do up here is not a performance. You do not come to church to say, good word, preacher. Those days are over. Um, so if you're used to that kind of church, this is going to stretch you a little bit. Because coming in here, the word of God, we believe, transforms lives. It's not for our entertainment. And so it's not just for a big good amen. It's actually for the next seven days, what is taught to you should change us and mature us as believers. So that's what response time is for. And then while response time is going on, um, the band sings their, their final song. They are going to sing at the end of the service today and lead us through a song after we share uh, some big news, a big announcement with you. But first, we're going to end our series called Out of the Cave. Everybody say, Out of the Cave. This series is based on the life of the prophet Elijah. It's just a two-week mini-series. Last week we talked about how do we get into the cave and what is a cave. It's dark, it's damp, there's scary noises, what's in there. Our lives get that way. We talked about Elijah, how he went from two great victories, major victories, and then three verses later, after he won the battle on Mount Carmel against 850 false prophets, he gets one text message from a woman named Jezebel and runs into a cave and asks God to kill him. Now, we've all had people slide into our DMs like that, and it really messed with our day. We've all been there. It's all happened to us. But we need to discover why do we let some of these things take us into a cave? And what is that cave? Our caves might be a little different. For some of us, that cave is anxiety. For some of us, that cave is a dark depression. For some of us, that cave is a worry so deep you can't function. It's, it's a heavy anxiety. It's, it's What is that cave? Maybe relational issues that are so thick you can't even figure out how to unravel that knot. What are these caves? We talked about it last week, and we talked about ending up in a dark cave. Darkness is disorienting. You don't know where you're going. If you've ever done an escape room, they're always dark and creepy, and, and there's like one, one little door that might be open a little bit, and, and, and it's dark, and, and you, it's disorienting. You don't know where you're going. You know there's a way out. You're just not sure where it is. That's a cave. Maybe you've been there before. And inside caves, there's actually a road right over here called Bat Cave Road. I don't know if you know this, but one of the world's largest colonies of Mexican free-tailed bats is here. I don't know why I know these nerdy things, but I do. And you can see them swirl up out of this cave in Garden Ridge. And, and, there's, and inside a cave, there's things you're not used to. They make noises. Stuff's crawling on you. It's dark, disorienting. Our lives emotionally and spiritually get that way. And I think everyone has experienced depression on one level or another. And, and I've, 
I've been very open about my own journeys. I was open about it at the end of last Sunday. So if you missed it, please go back and listen. Get some more maybe personal context uh, from me about why this series was important for our church. But Kelly and I began to notice that a lot of people right now, people that are in this church, were just there was a lot of maybe weariness and some heaviness and things were going on with people and jobs and people were losing family members and children walking away from the Lord and, and, and just, there was a heaviness, there was a weariness and there was a weight. We began to hear from people that I'm worried and I'm anxious and I'm depressed. And so we wanted to bring this to you to help you. 2007, Kelly and I moved to San Antonio, at June, uh, June of 2007. And in June of 2007, we worked um, at a church and under the hand of a very narcissistic, domineering, abusive leader. And we didn't know that was it. I thought I was just being a good spiritual son. And we didn't know that's what we were under for nearly a decade. And there was, a, there was a lot going on that I didn't know was going on, and, but it was still affecting me. Fast forward a little bit, January 2015, we launched this church. The very first Sunday of this church at Tejeda Middle School, there were 350 people there on opening day. It was 27 degrees and icy outside. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck. I'm like, nobody's coming to church if it's under 70 degrees. Nobody. <laughs> This is an awful day to launch a church. It was so, and the next week it was 75 and sunny, go figure. 350 people came that day, over 30 something people gave their life to the Lord and we were off to the races. We moved forward, COVID hits, we made it through everybody. We made it through as a church, which a lot of churches can't say. 40,000 churches in the United States closed in the last two years, 40,000. I'm wondering if you guys can relate with me a little bit. My cave got a little dark what we have moved here for and the, the, the trauma from a life past that did not get dealt with was still the filter and the lens through which I saw and felt almost everything, even though I didn't know. I didn't know that was going on, but it was still the truth, it was still there. And so the cave gets real dark, there's bats, it's disorienting, you're trying to trust in the Lord, but you don't know what's there. You, don't, you can't deal with it if you don't know it's there. So in 2016, after the emergency launch of the church, you know, the first year of a church plant, you're just trying to make it to Sunday. And in uh, our one-year anniversary, the very next Sunday, we launched two services. And uh, we had already moved venues, and it was just a very stressful year. Kelly and I found out we were pregnant with our third kid uh, like a week before we opened the church. So 2015 was insane. It was an emergency-type year, and we made it through 2015. And then in 2016, when the church got a little larger and we weren't floating checks in Jesus' name anymore... My depression got real dark. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know that's what was happening to me. I, I just thought that maybe I wasn't praying enough. I thought that maybe I wasn't worshiping hard enough. I thought maybe I didn't spend enough time in the word. or like it, Because that's what abuse does to you. You think everything's your fault after it happens. And so I began to filter even how I led people through that. And, and, it, and it was actually a very eye-opening year because that's when I began to discover maybe there's something that happened to me because I grew up in a great home, I had great parents and I was like, I have no reason to feel this way and how many of you know that sounds more, that, that level loves you to pile that shame on top of yourself. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't think this way. And you and I live our life shooting all over ourselves and we never ever get free. Let's talk today about stepping into the light. 
I'm gonna share with you some steps that I took, some steps that were very helpful to me. And I, I love that some years have passed and things have gotten so much better and I can see clearly now the rain is gone, everybody. So I'm gonna share with you the steps I took to get out of that. Stepping into the light. Let's pick up where the story left off. First Kings 19. This is Elijah. He just won that battle. Jezebel sends a text message. He freaks out, wants to die. Here we are. Then he lays down under the bush and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Mm. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. That sounds like a good day off. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and then strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Five steps to getting out of the cave. Number one, you have to step into a needed recovery. Everyone say recovery. Well, Landon, I don't have anything to recover from. No. We got to step into this recovery. The Bible says he was strengthened by that food. The physical thing is the first thing God did for Elijah. Isn't that interesting that God sent somebody to Elijah to tap him on the shoulder and say, wake up, bro, I got some bread for you. Instead of, you need to pray. He just said, here's some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Now, you and I would be like, how about some chips and queso and a dose? You know, it's like, that's the, then I'll be strengthened. No, God knew exactly what he needed. Sometimes you and I think we know what we need, but it's the opposite of what would actually help. So God gave him exactly what he needed, and then he did it a second time. He was strengthened. If you're depressed, a lot of times the starting point for you, and this was true for me, the starting point for you is to get your life in shape physically. When I was getting my, when I was hitting the darkest of my depression, I was the heaviest I had ever been. I was eating the worst I had ever eaten. And, and, it, and it, it was piling up the pain. I had back problems that were so severe, I couldn't hardly even finish second service. And there was at one point in our church's life where we had three services, that was years ago. And man, by the third service, I was dying. And, and my, my, it was all the toxins in my body. It was, I couldn't even stand up for a couple of hours. And I wonder, like, what's going on in your life physically? Maybe it's something simple, like you just need to watch your diet. You can't just eat bread and drink Coke all the time and expect to feel okay. Maybe it's just self-discipline. Maybe it, maybe it could be that simple for you, but it wasn't that simple for me. Because I did all of that, and guess what? I was still in the cave. Maybe you just need to get some more sleep. Maybe our schedules aren't allowing for that. There's scientific research that shows that just one hour of physical activity a day, and that could be just walking, and walking to the car, walking to your desk doesn't count, or walking to the refrigerator, or the beer fridge in the garage doesn't count. That doesn't count as walking. It will improve your mental health over 60%, the way you talk to yourself. Just one hour a day of doing something outside in the sun. So what do we do? Landon, that can't be all you got for me today, be in the sun. No, that's not it. What do we do? 
First thing you need to do is you gotta get control of your schedule. Some of our schedules are insane. You've got to get control of your schedule. Your boss thinks you were born for them, but it's not true. Because they've got another boss that thinks that. And all of that, cor- that corporate dysfunction is filtering into your life and hurting you and your children. You gotta get control of your schedule. You gotta stand up for yourself. Stand up for your marriage. Stand up for your children. Because at the end of the day, when you get to heaven, God's not gonna go, I'm so glad you got a stacked 401k. Here's the truth. If you don't prioritize your life, someone else is going to. There are lots of people who wanna make plans for you. Lots of people. Well, Anna, they signed my paycheck. Actually, the Bible says God provides for you. It's a trust issue. Psalm 90, 12, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. What a great prayer. What a great prayer. Look at 1 Kings 19. Let's go. Let's look what else happened. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. But the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They tore down your altars and they put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord's about to pass by you. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. And shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. But the Lord, and, and after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, he went to Mount Horeb, it's another name for Mount Sinai. Does that mountain sound more familiar? This place is a place that historically is a place where God reveals himself to his people. Metaphorically for us, here in the New Testament and in the year 2022, you, number two, have to step into a God encounter. You have to step into that. He was back in the cave, and then God said, get out of the cave and come see me. We have to step into it. Notice it doesn't say in the Bible that God levitated Elijah and forced him to watch him. Elijah had to step out of the cave. There was earth, there was wind, fire, a still small voice. And God said, Elijah, I've got something for you to see. Elijah stood there and God put on a fireworks show. It was the wind and an earthquake and fire and God's tremendous power, it was a reminder to Elijah, but God's presence came in what? A whisper. Here's a kingdom truth for us, and I think it's true. We look for the dynamic, but God is in the intimate. We're looking for fireworks, but God's in the whisper. There's no substitute for the power and the presence of God, and I can tell you the truth. 
The power and the presence of God is the greatest antidepressant there ever is. When I was at my darkest, deepest place in the cave, there was no prayer life. There, was, there definitely, I definitely didn't have any coffees or lunches scheduled with people that could hold me accountable. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. So the cave got deeper, the cave got darker, and I stopped hearing whispers. We want God to do the spectacular every time. I, I prayed, if I did pray, it was a prayer like, God, take this from me. But I wasn't at the place to hear the whisper. I was wanting God to do the miraculous, but he was in the intimate. On Mount Carmel, remember when the fire came down and obliterated the altar in front of those false prophets? On Mount Carmel, God showed up for everyone else, but on Mount Horeb, on Mount Sinai, God showed up for Elijah. At Mount Carmel, God was spectacular to everyone, but on Mount Horeb, he was special to Elijah. We have to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. A half-hearted approach to Christianity will not create the spiritual depth your family tree needs. We have to be very intentional with our weekends, with the sports our kids play, with, with our ability to be in small groups. We have to be very intentional with how we spend our lives in serving other people. And you know what's interesting to me? When people say, Landon, when are we going to preach about heavy things? I'm like, what does that mean? Like, by heavy and big things, I, I, I imagine you are asking me to preach about confusing things. And it's always people who aren't giving, serving, or attending regularly who tell me that. And it's because when we disconnect from God, we miss the simple steps that he is actually in love with. It's us being with him and cultivating the presence of God in our lives. We've got to create environments where we can get close to God, where we quiet our souls, where we make room for God. I used to wake up like, you know, us guys, right? We can wake up, take a shower, brush our teeth, get dressed. We're out the door in 20 minutes. I can get out the door in 20 minutes. I don't know about y'all. All the women are so mad right now. But I can get out the door in 20 minutes if I have to. And that's how I lived my life. If I had an eight o'clock meeting, I got up at 7.30. 10 minute pad. I'm, I'm, I'm very prudent, doing very well. There's no time for God. It was the tyranny of the urgent, emergency to emergency. I wonder if you're there too. But Psalm 46 says, be still and know me. Not be hurried and try. Be still and know me. I read books like Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, <laughs> Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, The Emotionally Healthy Church. I read them all in one month. I couldn't, I couldn't put them down. Something started to light inside of me and I began to change my schedule. And now, whether I set an alarm or not, my body's up at 4.30. Because the coffee starts at 4.40 every day. It's ready by 4.50 and I'm on my love seat with the Lord at five. It's changed my life. It's a non-negotiable for me. It bothers Kelly when we're on vacation and I'm making coffee when she wants to sleep because she spends time with the Lord later. I'm a morning guy. I wonder where your time with the Lord is right now. 
Are you still enough to hear his whisper? Psalm 73 says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. The Bible, Asaph is talking about, he was so depressed at the wickedness of the world. Maybe you are too. Maybe you know more about what Sean Hannity and Anderson Cooper know than what God knows. And when we get to that place, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. When I try to understand what the heck's going on in our country, I just get mad. And guess what? There's nothing I can do about it. Nothing, absolutely nothing, except pray and enter the sanctuary of God. Enter the sanctuary of God. Watch what happens next, 1 Kings 19. When Elijah heard it, the, the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put everybody to death. And I'm the only one left, and they're trying to murder me too. Notice that Elijah wasn't out of the cave when he said this. He was at the mouth of the cave. But at the mouth of the cave, how many of you know there's more steps to take? He pulled his cloak over his face. Your face represents your identity. Your face is what you look like. And again, he gives the same complaint that we talked about last week, which wasn't true. Remember he said, I'm the only one left. It wasn't true. He gives the same complaint. He had a flawed understanding of himself and reality. And maybe you're living your life that way. You've got a flawed understanding of yourself and your reality, that's why we need to, number three, step into a true identity. We've got to step into a God encounter. We've got to step into recovery. We've got to step into, who am I anyway? We live in a generation of narcissism and poor self-esteem that amplifies the mental triggers 100 times over. It's a recipe for a complete mental health breakdown. Our online lives, our social media use, research shows that these have changed the brain formation of youth and young adults. An incorrect identity does the same thing to us that it did to Elijah. It makes us believe a narrative that is not true. It makes us believe that you and I need to identify as whatever we can in order to feel right. If our identity as sons and daughters of God, then we don't need to change anything about ourselves because we are created in the image of God, fearfully and wonderfully made from day one. And God doesn't make accidents. And I've felt it as well. I've felt this distortion, and it's easy to get caught up in it. It's easy to not know who you are. And I know a lot of friends of mine that are pastors, and they've recently stepped down from their churches because their only identity was what they did up here. And it was so heartbreaking to their family and things began to unravel and I was at a place where I didn't know who I was. What is going on here? Like, what am I trying to be? Who am I trying to talk like? So let me give the, the LKV version of this verse. That's the Landon Kiker version in 1 Kings nineteen fourteen. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been preaching multiple services every weekend for 18 years. The government and Dr. Fauci won't let me fill up our auditoriums and our culture's going to hell. I'm the only one left and Instagram's trying to kill me too. 
you got to know who you are. Security is key. You got to know who you are. Look what Eleanor Roosevelt said. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. But if you don't know who you are, all you feel is inferior. Nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. But watch how God responds. He doesn't even address Elijah's complaints, which I think is so funny. He just ignores him. Look what he says. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat and Abel, Maloha to succeed you as prophet. And he's like, why, why are you giving me work to do and then replacing me? I just told you I'm depressed and now you're giving me work to do. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So when we read this, we're like, what is God talking about? Is he even in the same conversation? Have you ever felt like God did that to you? You're like, God, we need more money. And he's like, get a better job. And you're like, no, that's not what I wanted. Elijah's like, I'm the only one left. I'm depressed. I'm hungry. I'm mad. And God's like, here's some work. It's kind of confusing. Let's figure it out. Here's the fourth step. You have to step into a new assignment. It's not that God was blowing him off. God already knew what he was feeling. He already knew that was the case. But he had to step into a new assignment. If I could only give you one solution, he'd say, it's the power of a project. It's a dream. It's a vision. That's why the word says in Proverbs, where there is no vision, we die. We perish. If there's no vision for your family spiritually, don't expect your kids to stay Christians in college. If there's no vision for your family emotionally, if there's no stillness time, if their children don't see you with a Sabbath, like if there's no vision for where you're headed, the people perish. Now that word perish in the Hebrew literally means unrestrained. Where there is no vision, we're just unrestrained, chasing after what makes us feel better next. We need a vision for our lives. It's what Viktor Frankl discovered when we talked about last week, his logotherapy after World War II. He said, people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but no meaning. Does that resonate with anybody? Notice that God didn't ever address those issues. He reminded Elijah of his calling. He said, go back the way you came. If you remember last week, he came from Beersheba. Go back the way you came. And then he gave him people to anoint and influence. By the way, the place that he went back to in Beersheba is called the place of the oath. It's the place where he needed to renew his commitment to God. It's the place where you get fired up. It's, it's the place where 
You're willing to give everything, willing to do anything. It's, it's a place where you're purely focused on eternal reward. It's the place where you're focused on God and not yourself. It's, it's Beersheba. It's the place of the oath. And God said, I know you're saying all these things and I see them and I know your feelings are real. I made those emotions and I know you're feeling all of them at one time. But go back to where you came from. Go to the place of the oath and meet me again. Renew your commitment to me. That was his step. And then God gave him a new assignment after that. A focused heart on a clear assignment. Don't miss that. A focused heart on a clear assignment helps with pain. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The quickest way to defeat depression is to start looking at the needs of other people and seeing yourself as an ambassador for other people's eternity. You need to get a ministry. You know, the word ministry is this Latin word that means it's like subterraneous. It's minus. It's we're underneath lifting up. And, and, and somewhere along the way, we got it backwards in our country. We're now all, we're all celebrities making other people do our bidding. But ministry is actually an underneath view of how can I push people up, not how they can serve me. You need a ministry where you're lifting other people up. And while you're doing that, they're getting stronger. You're getting stronger. God uses them to meet, where, meet you where you are. God's using you to meet them where they are. You need to get a ministry in your life where you're giving out and God is giving to you. It's supernatural. Tonight we have growth track. Growth track happens once a month. Tonight at 5 o'clock at the church office off 1518 and I-35. Not far from here. We'll have dinner for you and your kids. Sign up so we can have enough chicken for everybody. But tonight from 5 to 7, we're going to talk about your ministry. Landon, this doesn't make sense. Like I, I'd rather just spend 150 bucks a pop and go talk to a shrink and lay there. You can do that, and you probably should talk to somebody. If they feel like they're not helping you, find a better one. They're not all created equally, and you get what you pay for, by the way. Why don't you come tonight? Why don't you come tonight and hang out with us, learn about the, the vision that maybe God's calling you to? For some reason, God brought you to a cafeteria today. Why don't we find out why? Kelly and I will be there, staff will be there, some leaders will be there, some food will be there, some sweet tea will be there. And if you want unsweet tea, we have water at the office. <laughs> Let's gather tonight and see what happens, all right? You can scan that code, it's also on your worship guide, or just go to the website and register for Growth Track tonight. Let's find out how God wants to use you. It'll bless you like crazy. Here's the last step. First Kings... 1919. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. 
Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Symbolic of, we're gonna do this together. Let's do this together. Step number five, step into relational strength. Step into relational strength. Elijah never walked alone again. Remember last week we talked about 1 Kings 18, all this amazing stuff happens. And then he gets that message from Jezebel, freaks out, runs away, gets to the edge of the desert, which is hot, dark, and lonely and destitute, leaves his friends there, says, y'all leave me alone, and keeps running so far away they can't find him, he ends up in a dark cave. You and I do that too. We run away from everyone who's trying to help us so we can go find a cave. That was the last time in the Bible we ever read that Elijah was alone. From then on, he was with Elisha and hundreds, if not thousands of other people, strengthening the people. Elijah never walked alone again, and guess what? We never ever hear of in the Bible of him ever being depressed again. When I was in my darkest place, I was alone. I didn't know who to call and how anybody to call. And, and then even one day, I tried to call somebody and, and it didn't go well. And I just went deeper and darker and said, see God, I told you. But then when I went to the edge of the cave and, and I heard the whisper and God started bringing people into my life that have changed it forever. We talk about this so much here at the church, but we talk about the, necessi the, ne the necessity, excuse me, of right relationships. How many of you know you can have a lot of relationships but they not might be the right ones? Some people in your life might not need to be in your life anymore. We need to have right relationships, the kind of relationships that make you a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, the kind of people that spur you on to good works and hold you accountable. Those kinds of people. Look what Kevin Eikenberry says. He says, look carefully at the closest associations in your life, for that is the direction you're headed. This is why we're a church of small groups. This is why groups matter. We don't just do small groups because churches do small groups. We thought about it a lot. And I, th I started thinking about how many life-changing moments happened in our living rooms over the years. Small groups launched today for the fall semester. There's a table at the back with some balloons and there's people wearing pretty t-shirts says, ask me about all these things. Ask them about all of those things because they've got answers to those things because the people wearing those shirts are a testimony of what's on there. And so find the semester. We don't do small groups perpetually around here. And so what that means is we do a couple of semesters a year. It gives people a chance to not have to clean their house every once in a while. Everybody, every small group leader needs a break after 12 weeks. And it gives us a chance to close down some groups that weren't working out very well and open some brand new groups and so this semester goes from today uh, through December 11th, and they launch this week. Find a group to try. And just because you try one, you might try it, and you're like, I, I, that wasn't it. Try another one. It usually takes some people two to three weeks to really settle in. But that gives you two and a half solid months of building relationship. 
So whether it's an, an affinity group, a fun group, or a football group, or a Bible study, or whatever it is, you'll find some friends. Don't walk alone. We're gonna use this season to find freedom in our lives, everybody. We're gonna use this season, as what small groups do, they help you find freedom. We're gonna use this season to get there. And how about you and I take intentional steps towards the light, not back into the cave? You can get out of the cave. And the steps that I just gave you were the steps that I took. And it changed my life forever. So let's try it. Let's try it today. Everybody go ahead and stand to your feet. Instead of our regular response time, we're gonna have some family time here in a moment regarding our church's search for property. But before we do, let's have a time of prayer over each other, over our souls, over our minds, over our emotions. So I, if, if you're comfortable doing this, please do. Just put a hand on the shoulder next to you. If you came with them, even easier. But if you didn't come with them, make sure they're cool with it. But let's have everybody praying for somebody today, okay? Father, for those of us that are struggling with depression, let us feel your presence. Let us get close to you. Let us walk in the identity that you've given us. Help us to incorporate healthy lifestyles and boundaries into our lives so that we can be strong mentally, physically, and emotionally. Father, surround us with a supportive community. Show us who you want us to serve this week. And we submit our steps to you. And we pray over these people that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, give God praise this morning, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.